Katie, goodness, thank you so much for being here with me and us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I have a lot of guests, you know, that I've, well, this podcast only been really going for about six months now, and I've had a lot of really good guests, but I'll tell you, um, you're the one guest that I could say, even after watching that uh, documentary there, that I, I couldn't decide, even as I was watch, watching it just now, whether I should, you know, laugh or cry. I mean, there was just these, <laughs> both of these feelings coming together. So again, it's such a privilege to have you here and to share your book and your life with us that you, uh, I'll say this several times throughout this interview that I just highly, highly recommend that everybody read this book because it's about, well, you say it's about baseball and, and, and about your, your mom. And I say it's about so much more than that. So Katie, you know, thank you again for being here. And, you know, first of all, let me just ask you, you know, who is Katie Newland? <laughs> well, I think, um, if you read a season with mom, you'll find out that, uh, like all human beings, Katie Newland is a complex <laughs> person who loves life and loves people. And um, I think I cultivated my love of life and people from my mom, which is what a lot of the book is about. Yes. And you say that very early on that you went to look for your, I think, find out who you, let's see. You went to find out who your mom was, but found out who you were, something to that effect. Absolutely. I think uh, when I set out to do the journey of seeing all 30 major league ballparks, it was a dream my mom had actually when I was a kid. We were in Harry Carey's restaurant uh, in Chicago, and our, uh, our favorite team was the Chicago Cubs. And uh, we were at the restaurant, and she looked at me with these big eyes, as she often did when traveling, and she said, let's go see all the ballparks. And a dream was hatched that day, and I knew that I, I loved baseball because of her, and I knew that I wanted to go, but I didn't quite know what that adventure was going to be until I actually stepped foot in the first ballpark myself. And I think it was everything my mom was trying to teach me my whole life. <laughs> Wow. And you just and you express that the, the book is so not just well written, just exquisite storytelling, but all through the through, I guess, the prism of uh, letters. And and in so many ways, you were raw. You, you, you even wrote things that I went, oh, you know, I my father just passed. I'm not sure I'd be ready to tell the truth about some of the things that I experienced in him growing up and uh, and then talked a lot about you know, how you did discover yourself, but discovered your mom as well at the same time is extraordinary. Can you just, just for the audience, just sort of, because I know you've spoken about this a million times, but just tell us sort of the, the, the story about how you arrived at your book. Would you do that? Absolutely. You know, when I, when I did the journey, um, I had no plan which most of my life I had planned out, <laughs> which has served me well in getting a PhD and other things in life, but hasn't served me in some ways um, in, in letting things just come as, as they are. And so mm. when I stepped foot in the first ballpark, it was the first time that I had let go of, you know, an outcome or a plan. I just knew I was called to do it. And so I had no intention um, when I did the journey of writing a book. I had no one, didn't have any idea that I'd get to throw out the first pitch at Wrigley Field at the end. None of it was 
was uh, forecasted by me. I'm certain it was forecasted um, by somebody else or the universe, but certainly not by me. And so the book came about um, after the journey and after I had had time to sort of sit, sit with it and the experience and it kept coming up. People would write to me and ask me if I thought about writing a book or, you know, sharing my story. And if I'd learned anything from the journey, it was to listen to the voices around me. And I decided, you know what, this is something that keeps coming back up. I should give it a try. And in fact, I didn't even know if I was capable of writing a book. I had been in academia and had done a lot of academic writing, but I certainly had never written a memoir or a novel. And when they first, uh, when I first started with the idea, I thought, do I need a ghostwriter? Do I need, you know, mm. so, do I need help with this? And I bought a book on how to write a proposal for a, um, to get an agent, and just took about six months, wrote the proposal, and was lucky enough to have resources here in Austin called the Writers League of Texas, where I met a phenomenal agent who then, you know goes out and shops the book and the book became a reality because I just listened to what the universe was saying. And I had no idea <laughs> when I did the journey that I would actually write it. And in some ways it was a, a second journey for me. Yes. And, you know, and part of the thing that I read in, in the book was this whole idea of letting go. And you just spoke of it just again, you know, of course, this podcast is called Grow Yourself from the Inside Out. And I would love to hear what you say to others about just this concept of letting go, Yeah, you know, and letting the universe or God or however one perceives that to, um, to act in your life. I, I, I don't, there's a lot of different ways I could put that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about that, about just letting go of, you, you mentioned it a couple of times, letting go of the outcomes, the expectations. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in order to grow for myself, I needed to learn to let go. And I needed to learn to let go of perfection. I needed to let, mm. to let go of my own plans or control of situations. We all know that that's not, you know, that's a facade. We don't control yeah. um, things. And I really needed to learn how um, to do that. My mom had been trying to get me to do it through most of my life. She would say to me, just be Katie or just let go. And I never really quite understood what she meant by it until I went on the baseball journey. And for me, letting go was about getting still. I think um, when we get still, we can hear what the universe or God or whoever is speaking to us where we can actually hear what, what the universe is saying. I also think it gives us the opportunity to hear our own voice. Mm. It's when we listen to our own voice and we get still that we, we hear what it is that we really want out of life or what mm. our dharma is or what we're meant to do on this earth and how we're supposed to give back. So I think in large part, my mom was trying to teach me that for most of my life. It drove me crazy um, until I stepped into America's ballparks and realized, oh, when I just sit here and I'm letting go of expectation, when I let go of what I think this experience is going to be, and I just, I'm in the moment, I'm present, and I'm with the people around me, and that's when the magic happens. 
Very interesting. And when you talk about the magic and you talk about whether you actually use those words or not, throughout the book, you talk about, and I, I can now only assume in hearing you that you're that, that some aspect of this is because you are letting go, that you went out to just let this be what it was. I did read where you did not confirm or deny that you created a few spreadsheets <laughs> along the way. <laughs> <laughs> because that's your way, isn't it? Yeah, you know, sort of more. Certainly. But that, but that in, but that in letting go, that's when you started to see things too. You started to see your mother, and the wisdom, and your life, and the things she told you. I mean, just through and through. I mean, every every chapter expressed some concept of that. Yes, that you you let go, and therefore. You, you begin to see life as it is, is maybe is that the way to say it? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, one of the strongest things that comes out is uh, when I let go of who I thought my mom was mm. and I, I was able to see all the good in her. And I mean, we all know that parent child relationships are complicated yeah. and they're complex. And as parents, we do a lot of good for our kids. And there's sometimes we do a lot of harm, not intentional, but you know, we are, we're human, right? We're not perfect. Yeah. And I think when I let go of who I thought she was and, and saw her through the lens of baseball and saw her, you know, baseball is the game of perpetual second chances, right? It's an imperfect game. We can mm -hmm. strike out a lot and still be a hall of famer. And I think it was a reminder to me that the things that she did in her life and the things that impacted me in my life, I, I saw them from a different angle. And that was only possible because I got still and because I let go of any expectation of who I thought my mom was. Wow. And, you know, and that's, of course, a lesson for all of us. We um, I, I can certainly speak for myself and I'm 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 a you know personal development coach. So I have these conversations with others. You know, and I encourage people to let go of these sorts of things, too. But, you know, in my own life, I struggle, too. I mean, let's not Absolutely. I'm not trying to fake anybody out here. I struggle and, today for sure with that still. <laughs> yeah. And you still and still, you know, because it's more it's you know, it could be it's just perhaps your nature. Right. Yeah. And I think it's like anything in life. Right. You have to practice it. And you have to you have to work at it, and it's we're, we're all a, a work in progress, and we're all learning as we go, and so yeah, we're 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 incomplete, right? Incomplete, that's right. No, that's exactly right, and perhaps that is part of our, or maybe that is one of the main journeys in life is, you know, is you know continuing to in, improve and grow as people as human beings, letting go is one of the hardest things, you know, letting go of how we judge people, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Letting go of judgment is a big one. You know, I was, uh, I want to kind of go, go back to this and, and I do want to give a shout out to Teresa Clark for introducing us and, and she's your cousin, right? Uh, 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 in some. Yeah. My some brother's, my brother's wife. Um, okay is um, related to Teresa and she's just been I see. lovely and so supportive of she is. my story and my journey. And I'm grateful to know her. I can imagine. And she is a beautiful person. She's actually, I know Teresa, I've known her for quite some time, but she's really very close to my sister. They're like sisters. Yeah. Aww. So that's really how I know her. 
And I actually, it wasn't until a couple of months ago or so that I realized she was in Florida. I thought she was still <laughs> up in Bowling Green. So in any event, well, listen, so again, I kind of want to go back to this idea. And I wrote some things down that as I was going along that I started to think about what this story is about or what the stories or the book is about. And here are some of the things that I wrote. And I would love for you to comment on this, uh, Katie, whether it comes directly from what you learned from your mom or from the writing or from your travels or, or from what you think now. So I wrote down this, that this is a story about being fearless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My mom was fearless. I was not most of my life. I was uh, had a lot of anxiety as I was growing up. I mm. if she would put herself out into the world. I retreated. Who knows whether it was in opposition to her or just how I was wired. I had a lot of fear in life most of my life. Um, I think a, a fear of you know naturally like we all have of death, and I think my mom showed me how to live fearlessly and in particular when she got cancer because in the face of something that was so scary she just continued to you know show joy not that it was easy or not that she sure. didn't do the struggles or not that she didn't um have tears but she showed me how to find joy in the moments that <laughs> you wouldn't expect to find joy. And it really helped me in my cancer treatment when I got cancer to find small ways to have fun in moments that were not so fun. Whether it was, you know, I painted my nails a crazy color for each chemo treatment, or I would play a sort of a sports playlist to pump me up for radiation. There were, I got that from my mom. And it was a way for me to take that fear and and validate it and accept it because it's scary it's scary when you face death yeah. um Goodness. To then find the joy even in in those moments because we can find joy when things are going easy right it's easy to, to be happy and to find joy but when it's in the hard moments when if you can just find that piece of joy i think it shifts everything and my mom was so good at that and i didn't know how to do that until really my own cancer treatment and wow. her. Yes, and, and I imagine that not only uh, the experience of watching her uh, gracefully um, handle cancer, mm -hmm. but also then, you know, what we don't know is embedded in us from our parents, you know, as as you were growing up. Yeah. You know, these things, these things came alive. And um, so then the second thing I said was this story is about being adventurous and this kind of fits really into the being fearless as well, right? Yeah. Your mother was adventurous. <laughs> she certainly was. She did not shy away from adventure. In fact, when you know they gave her sort of a limited time frame um, regarding her cancer and her life, she flew to China with her friends. <laughs> they wanted to see it. I mean, that would not have been my response, you know. Um, but that's what she did in the face of death. And it was, it's such a good reminder to me about when things are scary to take off on an adventure. Because it, being adventurous and going on adventures, whether it's traveling, you know, that's easy right. to be adventurous, right? Sure. She found adventure even like close to home. She would make fun adventures with her friends and 
she would she did a um a happy hour in the back of a truck like crazy you know just That's fun crazy. And things <laughs> like that and um yeah she always just was full of them and she drew people to her because of that and i think it's in adventure where we learn and we grow because we are in connection with others and with different cultures and different experiences and Absolutely. But you know, but the, I think everyone ought to know this. First of all, they should go read the book and learn and learn for themselves. But it's not like your mother was just like this free spirit that just did everything that she wanted all day long. I mean, first of all, she raised six kids, right? Let's start with that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and owned and managed two restaurants. Exactly. And in some ways, the restaurant business was an adventure. She okay. was not a classically trained chef. She just had a passion for cooking. She read cookbooks voraciously. She, I can see her right now actually on the back porch, like clipping recipes and putting them in binders. And she just had a dream that she wanted to open a restaurant. She wanted to be a chef and she did it. I don't know many people, especially back in that day, because female chefs were not necessarily, um, you know, prominent right, and, yes. in the city of New Orleans where restaurants and culinaries, you know, there's a lot of it. She just decided she was going to do it. And in some ways, that's the biggest adventure of all, right, is to go out and, and do a career that it, at 40, when she had six kids. And um, yeah, it, and it's a hell of a lot of work. From what I understand. <laughs> it was. It was. So I mean, it's just incredible to though to hear how on the one hand, she really seems like a driven, driven woman. But on the other hand, she she was also, you know, just, you know, sort of had this impromptu attitude. Let's go do this. Yeah, absolutely. How amazing. I also read and I wrote this down, but it connects with the really the first couple about being fearless, being that this book is about seeing the opportunity in crisis. And you mentioned about what happened or her attitude and then what you all did, I, I suppose, after Katrina. So you were in Katrina, correct? Yeah. Tell us just a little bit about that and what your mother ended up uh, yeah. doing with you all. So when Hurricane Katrina hit, my family, we grew up in New Orleans, right? Smack in the city. And um, by that time, all six of us had moved away. And so they mm. moved to our what was sort of like a little beach house um, on the Gulf of Mexico. Mm. It was a simple little home there. and But they had moved sort of all their stuff over there. And as anyone who, who remembers Katrina, the eye of the storm really came across um, the Gulf Coast and Mississippi. And so the eye came across Bay St. Louis Pastor Strand, which is where our home was. So it totally wow. demolished everything. No sign of... Of, of anything, the house or, um, and she had gotten out the night before um, it hit, even though her neighbors had stayed, unfortunately. And so my dad was, had stayed back home in New Orleans because he was caring for people since he was a physician and he stayed back and we didn't hear from him, from him for probably a week or eight days. We didn't know if he was alive or he was, it's definitely a scary time for my family and I. And my mom, you know, after it, instead of sort of wallowing in the loss, once we knew my dad was okay, and I picked him up actually on this, the road on the side of I-10 um, after about a week, and 
when she um, realized that my dad was okay, you know, they took it as an opportunity to go travel and see each one of their kids. And I remember, and I think back to how it was one of the most special times in my life with my parents because I was older, I was able to appreciate them more. And because they were stripped down, right? They had no things anymore. Goodness gracious. My, my dad's identity most of his life had been helping and taking care of others, which of course he did um, in Katrina and, and helping people at the hospital. But once they stepped away because the New Orleans really had no infrastructure. So his, he didn't have a job for several months. And once they stripped right. things away and the identity away of like, what do I do in life? And we're just present with each one of their kids. It was such a gift. It was such a gift to be with them oh, yeah. and to experience them and to have conversations with them. And it's, I look back on it as a absolutely horrific time in our lives to lose our childhood home and, and all our things, but also, like what an opportunity to get to spend with my parents an extended time. Yes. And I'm just sitting here, I'm thinking, you know, what must it been like to have, have these conversations with your parents when literally just days before they lost everything. And I do mean everything. And what, you know, how, how can they even function, you know, yeah. with the thought of so much loss, really? Yeah, I think my parents were such a good model for me about, yeah. you know, not placing value on material things. material things. And my dad, deeply religious, deeply spiritual human being. And I think for him, you know, when I picked him up on the side of the road, all he had was the suit that he had on, which he had oh, worn yes. for seven days. Um, you know, he'd taken off his jacket when he was helping people. But, you know, he there was no electricity, no power. He had one left can of like Campbell's soup and an opener and a little bag, grocery bag on the side of the I-10 because a nurse had taken him on um, on the way to Houston. And I came from San Antonio and picked him up in Houston and he never complained. He never, he never, you know, complained about losing things or yeah. the trauma he experienced. Um, he, he stayed till the last person was helicoptered out on the roof from the hospital. And I remember him, um, I remember getting a call. I was actually at the Alamo with my brother and his family who had evacuated with me. And I remember getting a call from a doctor saying, um, my, your dad wanted me to call you. He doesn't have any cell service um, because he had left New Orleans as doctor. And he said, he's not leaving though. He's not leaving um, these patients which was so um, my dad, right? Like duty and honor and, and, but he wanted to also make sure we knew he was okay. And so to have those conversations with him about what transpired and what transcended during that time and to really learn about who they were at the core, because um, it was a raw time, really was it a gift. You know, I, I'm thinking about, you know, both of your parents and, the other thing that I didn't write here, but I think about Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. You're familiar, mm -hmm. you probably read it. Yeah. And the the powerful lessons that came out of that about, you know, and I won't retell the story, but another book I highly recommend 
you know, that he was, of course, an Austrian psychologist in Auschwitz. His family and friends were there, but he was a notable psychologist at the time in World War II. So he, this book expressed his point of view from both a personal experience and as a professional. And he essentially said, you know, one of the big takeaways from the book was that in any circumstance, your last uh, human freedom is your ability to choose your attitude in any given situation, right? And both, it sounds like both both of your parents, um, sounds like they epitomized this idea of being in control. I mean, how do you not be in complete freak out mode when you have cancer and know that your death is imminent? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's such a, a great analogy and a great point. It really is what do we do when we're faced we're, we always have a choice right <laughs> we don't have a choice sometimes and yes. things happen to us like cancer or katrina but we always have a choice in how we respond and they really helped me learn how to cultivate how to sit down and think through what my choices are and oh, interesting i think that was so important for me during cancer because I could choose to wallow in it, which is fine. And would been and those who do like, yes, justifiably. Yes, exactly. Like, and, and I could have done that. And, and I'm sure there were days that I did. Um, and then I could choose to, you know, see it as an opportunity to, to grow my, I, you know, spent a lot of my time during chemo um, reading and, and learning about health and wellness and choosing to find a way to make my cancer make sense. So this is presented to me. It's very unfortunate. I had to sort of pause my life, but what is what is the message? What is What am yeah. I supposed to learn from this experience? How am I gonna grow from this crisis? And what I've learned and, and how to grow in my life is I turn to others and their wisdom and their experiences to help me learn. So I did, I was voracious about reading. Wow. Um, and reading others' experiences during cancer treatment and reading about health and wellness because I knew I couldn't continue to do the things in my life I had always done because I would land in the same place, right? And I didn't, it, didn't, it wasn't fun to go through cancer treatment, to say the least. So what am I going to do to change my life so that I don't end up here again? Um, yes. Wow. So maybe one of the first things to consider, to understand, and, you know, I never would venture to say that I know what that's like to go through cancer itself. <clears throat> but maybe one of the first things that, you know, for those listening, maybe even those struggling deeply with whether it's a health issue or whatever the case, or, or, or whatever the case, that you start with the premise that almost the question, you know, if I'm speaking to myself, Kevin, you, you do realize that you can choose your attitude as difficult as this is, right? Just get into that place of recognizing as shitty as a situation is, you still can choose your attitude. That might not be easy, but you can. Absolutely. 100%. It's, it's like you said, it's sometimes not as easy yeah. <laughs> as doing it. But once you learn that you can, and also allowing yeah. yourself to be in the 
the anger or the pity or the whatever sure. you see, and then allowing and validating it and then making the choice to have a different attitude or a different, yeah. it's life-changing, really. Yes. You're, right. You're absolutely right. And if you can conquer it during that time, it seems to me that it just must give you a level of, of security that you've never known because you, you know, as Frankel said that, you know, in any given situation, as hard as it may be, you can choose your attitude. Wow. I mean, this is so uh, you also said, oh, no, I said that this book is about bunting. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. And, and as soon as you as soon as you started to to talk about this whole idea of bunting, and I want you to comment if you don't mind about it, I, I immediately got it. Yeah, I mean, just that the, the metaphor was just right there. You know, the if if you will, the analogy. Talk talk about this thing about bunting that you mentioned in the book. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if and we're talking about softball, fan, baseball, whatever, yes, yeah, exactly. If you're a baseball fan, or maybe you're not, mm -hmm. probably have heard of the bunt. Um, and <laughs> most baseball players, when they step up to bat, I think they, you know, want to. The goal is to hit the ball out of the ballpark, right? Mm -hmm. I want to step in there and I want to hit yeah. the ball as hard as I can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Like that's how we win the game. Yes. But in reality, I think it's the bunt, you know, the small, the small hit the, that moves the runner into scoring position that then scores the runner in the end sometimes is how you win the game. And I think that's so analogous with life that I think of a bunt as sort of this small act of belief, right? This small act of belief that my coach has asked me to not swing away put the ball in play, move the runner, you know, you're trusting your coach, right? And I think in life, um, the bunt or the small act of belief um, that you can do something. Or for me, for example, the taking that first step into the first ballpark. It was that small act of belief for me that, that mm -hmm. I knew I was called to do something mm -hmm. and that um, I didn't know what it would become. And it, it seems like sometimes our dreams or our, you know, if we want to do something different with our lives or we want to grow, that it needs to be the home run or it needs to be this big hit. Actually, mm. it, it's a series of small acts of belief or it's these series of bunts, right, that actually get us to the end goal. And I mean, I think about it with, with my story, like it was the belief of stepping foot into the ballpark. And then it was the, okay, I'm going to continue to do this. And there were times during the journey I did think about, well, should I be doing this right now? I think I was in um, Minnesota and I got sick. And it was I was sick for the very first time since my cancer treatment. And it was really mm. scary for me. And it was really, I, I could fear, feel fear creeping in. And I thought, man, maybe this is not good for my health to be flying on planes and not working out as much or not eating as healthy. And I had to really think about is this the right move for me and so I, um, I i did continue on and i did believe that i should keep going and then it led to the book right like this, this act of belief that okay maybe i can write a book i don't know I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna try um and then now you know the book's been optioned for a movie and i certainly didn't wow. go on this journey to have a movie produced or to write a book or any of that, but it were these small acts of belief along the way that I got still enough to hear. And, you know, it was the little bunt that actually put me here on your podcast today, right? I would never have met you 
if I hadn't hadn't taken those small steps. Wow. And th the other thing that I wrote, and you're you're even to some degree talking about this now that this book is about connecting to something larger than yourself. And in some way, I guess I hear you saying that that's part of what the bunt is, that the, there's a greater good. There's a sacrifice to be had for the team win, correct? So you can yeah. go after your home run. I mean, okay, so that helps the team win. No, no question about it. But that, to your point, you have faith in those who understand the greater good and know, and and you take you take that step of of faith, and bigger things happen. Gosh, it's the perfect way to put it. Absolutely, yes. Wow. Um, so the story is about seeing your mother in others and in other circumstances. I, I was just blown away about the the way that you drew you 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 found these understandings about who she was or who you were, not just in like, oh, my mother used to tell me this, but you talked about the juggler and, and I am curious about pass the pig. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> pass the pigs, it's a little game. There are these little miniature pigs and you roll them like dice and the okay. way they land um, end up, you score points based on it. So it fits in your pocket. You can bring it out anywhere. Uh, my mom loved games, as do I, because she felt like games united people. Yes. And um, so, yes, pass the pigs. So if you uh, haven't heard of it, you should you should pick up a pair. I'm going to look it up. You know, but you also talked about the juggler and what you learned about your mom or your connection to your mom or something. Can you just share that? Yeah, I was in uh, Cincinnati, I, I believe. Yes, Uh and it was before the game and you know like at many baseball games they have entertainment outside the ballpark mm -hmm. and there was this juggler and he dropped his baton and i was actually taking a photograph filming him at the time and my heart just sank and i felt so awful for him and i sat there sort of like oh no and he looked right up and was just put out his hands and was like whatever you know oh, well. That happened. And here I was like, oh no, yes. and at the end of the day, you know, I think if we can look at the times we fail in life as, oh, well, you know, what do I have to learn from it? I think it would, would serve us well. And I, I know it's something I'm trying to cultivate more as a yeah. recovering perfectionist is yeah. how to <laughs> let the mistakes actually help those are the times i grow the most right yeah. when things are yes. going easy and things are making sense and i'm on the right track great but it's the moment where i drop the baton like the juggler where those are the opportunities for growth and if we can see them as that then the, the sting or the pain of the mistake or um doesn't hurt so much i think yes and and I don't hear you saying, you know, just shrug your shoulders to things that like it doesn't matter, but shrug your shoulders to um, to this idea that this mistake is going to crush you or that it somehow is your identity. But to your point, you know, it's the old thing. Eh, bend over, pick it up and keep going. Absolutely. You see, yes. that's a such a beautiful thing. Um it, this is about, you know, being filled with hope instead of fear. This book is about, you know, and it sounds like your mother just epitomized that and 
shared that with you as you went through cancer. May, may I just ask it, if, if it's okay, would you, you know, cause I have um, friends and a, and a dear niece who is struggling with cancer right now and, and has gone to Houston, I think where you went to be treated as well. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I'm putting you on the spot here, Katie, but can you share just your words of wisdom about going through those sorts of things and I don't know. It's, uh, it, yeah. yeah. No, I'm sorry to hear that. I, you know, I think you'll find in life, I don't know that anyone hasn't been touched by cancer. Yeah. It's sort of a universal thing, whether you're a caretaker or you're a patient or you're a friend, I think we're all impacted by cancer. And, and my hope is that this book or this story, whether it's, as you said, your niece, Yes. Um, or you know, anyone out there who might be listening. I hope that people realize no matter how far down you are, um, just like in baseball, it's never too late to stage a rally or a comeback. When you're wow. in the, the deepest part of cancer treatment or you're losing hope, yeah. um, I hope this story reminds people that you might be going through something not so great right now, so was I, and somehow beautiful things came afterward and afterwards and to hold on to that hope um, and to hold on to the joy in moments that seem the scariest. I think that would be what I would share from my own personal oh, experience that helped me. Such a beautiful really thought. And, and I say that sincerely that, you know, hope is such an, an important aspect. And I, and I suppose that perhaps you and, and, and your mother and others that you, you know, maybe like grief, you have to get over the shock first. And, and, and there's some, you know, there's some logistical things and there's some, some practical things that are going to be hard. There's the, the physical part of, of chemo and all those sorts of things. And I would not dare to minimize this, the, 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 what comes with that. But your point is to, is to hang on to hope, whatever that hope is, because, um, and and maybe you could say like your mother who didn't survive, um, you know, uh, can we say she bunted? You know, I mean, she, mm -hmm. she, she showed you grace and love and all these other sorts of things because she saw that as the bigger picture to pass on to her children and those around her. But the other part is, I think, if I hear you correctly, is that when you are in these circumstances, it takes you to a place, you know, you're stripped of everything, perhaps like your dad showed up. You're stripped of everything. And so you have to, your mind has to go to what is really, truly important here. You have no choice, right? Mm -hmm. And some don't go there, but but it is to your point where you will learn about life in ways that others never will. Absolutely. It's you know, when you're going through it, it's hard to see any positives, certainly. But you know, once you if you're fortunate enough like I was to get through it, you start to learn about the little gifts that were given during the experience during the experience, which is, you know, who am I? 
when you yeah. strip all that away, like, who <laughs> am I? Like, I'm not working right now because I can't physically. Like, I'm, you know, not getting to see friends really because I can't go out because my immune system is so low, I might get an infection. Wow. So who, who am I, you know, and, and what do I want in this life? And how, what am I grateful for? And how can I make a difference? If those were the four things that I kept coming back to when when I was by myself going through that treatment and when I was in the baseball parks, frankly, and, and sitting there in, in stillness, um, whether it's baseball parks or whether it's cancer treatment, I think when we get still and strip ourselves of, of all the things that we think are who we are, right. but That's in actuality right. or just, you know, our, our way of being in the world, I think we get clarity um, in a way that I don't know it's easy to achieve wow. um, without the stillness and without the, the opportunity. And I imagine you find things like, let's just say you are, you have financial problems, even, even serious financial problems. And suddenly you're faced with your mortality. Those financial problems probably mean zero. And, and, and on a day earlier, you were stressed and sunk in your bed and freaked out because you have financial problems, not to, you know, financial problems are problems, but when it comes to what you're saying, you're stripped away of everything else that it's meaningless. What, what means something probably, I don't know what words you would come to, but I would say maybe first and foremost, you know, love and God, I mean, those, that deeper, deeper part of you yes. relationships, Yes. You know, all of Absolutely. it is. And I wonder, I've, I've thought a, a lot about how do we create those opportunities without the crisis? Yes. Possible, <laughs> you know? Yes. Because have I you want come to a conclusion? To be, no, I don't have the answer. <laughs> on it, you know? like how do come you, on, Dr. Newland. <laughs> how do you help convey yeah. things that you have to go through when you're faced with a financial crisis or a health crisis, or, yes. you know, how do you, how do you create something where, where everyone can experience the opportunity yeah. without the pain, but I guess maybe yeah. you have to have the pain in, yeah. order to, in order to come through. I don't know. I don't that's know. That's a tough but... one. That's a, that's a, that's a great, great question. We should all ponder and maybe you're right, you know, but the other side of that, of course, is listening to people like you who have, who have, who have, been to you know to the depths of pain you know i mean when you're facing mortality i don't know of anything else uh that can that potentially be darker and take you to a place that we can't understand you know and those sorts of things um this story is about um lma <laughs> you know you 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 mentioned just a moment ago about you know you know, you, you came to this, you know, who am I, you know, who am I? And I have this, this question that I ask people in, in workshops all the time. And it's, it's two questions that I'm, I'm typically asking the, the person who's listening or the audience to answer the second question. The first is just a preparatory to the second. And so I want to, I, I want to ask you this in relation to Ella May, and you'll tell us about who she is in just a second. Mm -hmm. So here's the question or questions. So uh, Katie Newland, who are you? But more importantly, why do you see the world the way that you do? 
and speak about Ella May and how she has shaped your. Absolutely. So tell uh, us who she is first. So that yeah, no, <laughs> I mentioned, or you mentioned, we talked about my mom as a mm. you know, full-time chef, restaurant owner, six kids. My dad worked full-time as a physician. So naturally, um, you know, my brothers and sisters helped out a lot, but they were able to, uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to have some help um, around the house. And Ella May um, arrived at the house um, when I was mon one month old. So she pretty much raised me because she was there till I was about 12, 13. Wow. And she, in many ways, I feel like was my mom um, because my mom was busy. And, you know, part of this book talks a lot about how our special bond was baseball. And that's how we connected because my mom loved sports and we had that. And I feel so grateful for that. And in many ways, my mom and I weren't connected because she wasn't present um, and Elena, Ella May and I connected in a way that you can only connect with someone when they're present 24 seven almost, you know, uh, or, or a large part of the day. And um, so I think that when I ask myself, who am I? I always, the answer that just comes to me always is love. Mm. And I think Ella May showed me what unconditional love was. Wow. Um, and I think, you know, she helped me to realize that you don't have to be, you know, someone's biological mom or you don't have to, that you can love someone deeply, deeply. Um, and wholeheartedly just because they care and because they're important to you. And I, I deeply love LMA. We, we talk once a week. Uh, she follows me on Instagram now and she's much older and um, I love it. It just, you know, makes my heart flutter every time I see a message uh, from her. But, can imagine. you know, she really raised me and, and the book talks about it. And I think, you know, my mom would probably be, be a little bit hurt by that, even though I think deep down she knew um, that herself. And in some ways, LMA was the best person to raise me. You know, I think when you have six kids and you have your own dreams, it's hard to navigate. Um, tapping into and cultivating both of those. So that's who Ella May was. And I think that's what she gave me, which is love, unconditional love. That's amazing. And I think what's interesting about it, and you didn't take it for granted because you talked about later when you went to visit her after um, after some time, she had been away from you for many years. Yeah. And you you wondered what she, how she thought of you. Yeah. Uh, I think you said that you wondered if she considered you family like you considered her. Yes, definitely. Because, you know, obviously when you have babysitters or people who help yeah. you your family out, you, you realize that they, they were, they were employed, right? Like they obviously right. do that. And did she think of me in the way that I thought of her yeah. and I really thought of her as family and my mom. And when I arrived at her house, I mainly really wanted to know she was okay because she spent sure. a large part of her life making sure I was okay. Goodness gracious. And I wanted to know, like, is she okay? And, and can, in some ways, she took care of me and now I'm taking care of her. And that's how life works, right? Like, yes. And so when I arrived at her house and we went in and I could see in, in her house certain things from our house that my dad had, had gifted her and and on her her um, dresser were her pictures of family members. And then there was this picture of 
our family mm. and it was old and you could kind of almost barely make out the faces because it was, you know, photographs back then weren't, weren't as high quality. And so it's kind of yellow and stained and she clearly had it there her whole life um, wow. with her. And it just, it validated for me that I had considered her family and that she had considered me or my fam family too. And I think you straight up asked her, right? You know, I did. <laughs> uh, you know, do you, I, I don't remember, you know, do, yeah. what, what do you think? Of, do you consider me family or something like this? Whatever. Yeah. And I, I wanted Which to Which is know, beautiful, man. Yeah. And I wanted to know if we loved her as much as she loved me <sighs> like, and that it was reciprocal because it felt that way, you know, but I wanted to make sure she knew how much I unconditionally loved her. Yeah. But to your point, um, you know, and I did take note of something that really, I mean, just really resonated with me. I'm not sure why I didn't have this experience, but that you, she would, she would um, greet you home from school with your rabbi. I guess that your rabbit. Yeah, my stuffed, uh, stuffed rabbit. I carried with me everywhere till a oh. very old age. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yes. uh, you said, and uh, a grilled cheese sandwich. And then you said a warm blanket. Yes. And that she would position you in front of the television with those three things. Yep. And, you know, and of course, that's just pure love. I mean, you know, for, forget the the rabbit, the, the warm blanket and the grilled cheese, but the gesture that you felt all your life uh, from, from this, uh, sounds like this beautiful human being. Yeah, it was, I always felt wrapped in a warm blanket. Yes. Uh, figuratively and literally my right. and what a gift for me to have that person in my life and so when i ask who are you and how why do you see the world the way that you do clearly ella may you know shared with you a different kind of love and it, of course it doesn't take anything from your mother it but as you said that you know, this is a very special relationship, you know, that, that didn't have to be, we, we would expect our parents to love us. Correct. Right. But you don't have to, I think maybe to your point, ex, you know, you don't think that others have to love you. And so then they choose to love you and yeah. show you these sorts of things. Absolutely. Um, you know, one little thing that I find so interesting is that my sister's kids, um, she has, her responses on like social media or in conversations with her are always about my sister's kids. Wow. She loves my sister's kids in the same way that she loved us. And to see that is just, it's just a further validation of, of what you were saying. And, and the love I man. so, you know, poor dad, <laughs> I, as I was reading through this, you know, I said to myself, if my daughters wrote this, I raised two daughters, I have a son, but also two daughters. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this is pretty much how this would roll in my life too, because my wife is, you know, is a beautiful mother and a beautiful human being. We've been married, just hit 35 years. Oh, congrats. Thank you so much. And, you know, and I think my daughters have this kind of a, you know, this, this beautiful relationship as you, you know, even though maybe you didn't, and, and perhaps you could say the same, my girls are now 24 and 27 and, you know, growing up, I suppose they, uh, you know, 
like every other kid, you know, at some point hated their parents or whatever, you know, or just thought you're not there for me or all these other sorts of things, you know. But I think if they wrote a book, it would be totally about, you know, just really this beautiful mother that they have. And, and you know, and dad, you know, my son was from a previous marriage, so we didn't all rate, grow up in the same family. So in raising our daughters, though, I always felt like it was, you know, me against the estrogen. You know, I, mean, I, just, I, I remember times, I remember times that I, that maybe one daughter would be, you know, like kind of upset at me, and and I was like, well, what's wrong? And and I realized that my wife was mad at me, so therefore she's mad, at me. <laughs> you know. But, but having said that, you know, certainly, uh, I would just love to hear a little bit about your dad. So he was a physician. Yeah. And, you know, I think I could, uh, my dad was such a complex, kind, thoughtful human being that I could write a whole book about him as I well. Know. I just happened to write the book about my mom, but um, I could certainly write a book about my dad. He um, He's the most thoughtful, kind human being I've ever met in my whole life. He's steady, Eddie, easygoing. Mm. When my mom created anxiety for me. He, <laughs> it. Um, he was always, you could always count on him. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he somehow, you know, could fit a circle in a square or a square in a circle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just was like smart about life. He could fix anything. He could do anything. And so I always thought of him as this like hero and like untouchable. And wow, um, you get older, you realize your your parents have faults and, <laughs> and they're not perfect. And um, he certainly chose to take. He felt called by God and by you know he just felt called to serve um, in the capacity of a physician. And he put his patients first always. First and foremost, he, um, you know, Chris, Christmas Day, I can remember many times where I would look around and be like, where's dad? And he was making a house call because someone was sick. And in some ways, I felt a little bit neglected, obviously, and I talk about it in the book. And in other ways, what a model to grow up around, yeah. to see someone who sacrificed his entire life to serve others. And I, and I, and I, I mean that literally in the grandest sense wow. Every single day, he put people in front of him um, and his own needs. And, 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 you know, it's something I negotiate in the book is like, is that healthy, right? <laughs> to always not pay attention to your own needs. Um, so it, it, it was his strength and also maybe his, his downfall in some ways. Yeah. Um, but he's a, was an amazing man. He happened to just, uh, he passed away in August, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank oh, you. Um, and, you know, I, I'm just grateful because he went peacefully. He, he yeah. was in a nursing home and they said he was just in his chair, you know, and he just he just went to sleep. And for me, that was such a, um, a, a gift in that he, what he did in life is he put people at ease. He made people feel OK in times when they weren't OK. And he took people's pain away. And so for me, and the thing that I prayed about all the time was, can you just let him go peacefully? Can you take him peacefully? He spent his whole life putting people at peace and he had started to lose his mind, which was hard for someone who yeah. was so talented. And his identity yes. was stripped. And he actually was in the nursing home where he was the doctor 
after uh, for 40 years in a nursing home. And so they knew him. They were negotiating his loss too. And, um, you know, I just kept praying, like, please let him go without pain and peacefully. What we want for all of our, 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 the people in our lives and our family and our friends. And he did. And, you know, as sad as I was, I felt so relieved that, you know, he was able to go out on his own terms and, and peacefully. And so it was challenging, but also, um, was, was nice because his home really was the nursing home <laughs> more than our home. Amazing. So he was going home at the end of the day. Gosh, you know, yes, that's, uh, you know, twice. <laughs> I mean, yeah. amazing. Wow. What, what, that's amazing. I, I didn't know that. I'm so sorry, but what a beautiful uh, words about him. So just a couple of other very quick things. Um, you know, um, I don't know. Okay. First of all, I I want to just for the audience, because it I, it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the way through uh, that, that I, I don't know if, I wouldn't say that I didn't pick up on it, but that I, I suddenly went, whoa, and that was the titles of each of your chapters. That is mind blowing. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to run through them very quickly. Yeah. And if there's anything that you'd want to say about any of them, because it's so it, that tells a story in and of itself. I mean, it's just a beautiful way to, I, I mean, it's just brilliant, really a, a way to do this. And so, and then I have one more question for you. So uh, starting with chapter one is B, B, E, again, begin. Chapter two is be present. Three is be the light. Four is believe. Five is be generous. Then be hopeful. Be family. Be long. Be understanding. Be resilient. Be communicative. Be compassionate. Be adventurous, which I loved, by the way. <laughs> be mindful, be ready, be happy, be calm, behind the scenes, be strong, be calm, be alert, be reflective, be grateful, be forgiving, be balanced. I loved that. Be still, be loyal, be open, be in the moment. And chapter 30 is be. <laughs> I mean, you know, that in and of itself is is just like a book. It just, you know, there's, you know, I, I, I love to ask people, particularly if you've written a book or have done something, you know, interesting to tell us about, you know, what are, what are the takeaways? But I mean, that was, you know, there's 30 of them right there that just resonate so beautifully. And, uh, and then you went on to say uh, for extra innings, be patient, be love, be flexible, you know, just, just so beautiful. So the last question I guess I have for you, Katie, is you mentioned that your mother um, just was so interested in other people's lives. But then you said something really interesting. You said, but more, and correct me, you know, if I don't get this completely right, but more she was just interested in the chapter that they were in. Is that right? 
Absolutely. Yes. Just a tad about that. And then I have a question for you. Yeah. I, you know, my mom loved people. She mm. loved meeting people. And she always believed that when she crossed paths with people, that there was something bigger and something meant to be by it. And so she loved, she was a great listener. My, her friends actually, when I mm. met her after the journey said that, like she was such a good listener. And I think she really enjoyed learning about people's lives and what chapter they happened to be in when she mm. crossed paths wow. with them. And I think that we grow, right? When we learn about other stories and she was so curious about other people's lives and other people's stories. And I didn't really realize it because it kind of annoyed me when I was little, like she'd stop and talk to everyone and she would, you know, but now I'm like, oh, that's what you were doing, you know? Wow. And, and that's what I did in, in the baseball ballparks. I stopped and listened to who did I happen to be sitting around at the baseball ballpark? You know what? It might not have just been by chance that they were sitting next to me after I listened and learned their stories. Because at the end of the day, we realize when we listen to others that we're not so different. We might have, we mm -hmm. might look different. We might have different um, political beliefs or different uh, religious beliefs. But at the end of the day, we're, we're just like everyone else. And when we can see that and we can believe that, I think that we, we, we let go of judgment and we, um, we, we open up to what the people in front of us have to share and the lessons they have for us. And, and, and this really, really epitomizes much of, of what you learned from your mother and your father and this idea of acceptance of circumstances and of people around you that, and of being open that you just don't know until you just, you know, begin the conversation with someone and suddenly, you, to your point, you know, you realize either things about yourself or about them. You realize we all have common struggles in life um, and all these other sorts of things. So, so then Katie, so then what about your chapter right now? What chapter are you in, in your life? Uh, thanks for asking that. Um, well, I am actually trying to cultivate my career as a picture book, children's book author. It's something I've uh, always wanted to do. Um, I've obviously been around picture books and kids my whole life as a teacher, but, uh, it's something I've always wanted to do. So I just completed my manuscript of a season with mom, which is a, actually a fictionalized retelling of um, a little girl and her mom who go to see all 30 ballparks. And, um, so that's exciting. Um, working on that. And we just adopted a dog, Charlie, who's sitting to my right right now. He's the most lovely dog the only thing is that he snores and i was so afraid he's gonna start snoring but he has to be by me so i was like do i live on here do i not yes. oh I my gosh yes uh, bring him on man conversation was interesting because i only heard one snore uh, okay outstanding well listen we have a dog isabel that i can i will put up against any snoring dog <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not kidding you either you oh. know well Katie, where can people find you? Where can they, I mean, your book is obviously on Amazon, but you know, where can people reach out to you, whether it's looking for you to come, I, I assume that you're doing speaking as well. And how, how can people 
get in touch with you. And of course, everything that you say, I will put in the show notes, but I want oh, to hear from you. Perfect. Yeah. Probably the best way is just uh, katierussellnewland.com because then um, you can email me through that or All right. follow me through Instagram or that's, that's pretty much where I, I um, share a lot about the book and what I'm doing is, is through Instagram or the website. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So, and again, I can't, you know, I mean, this seems like the obvious thing that I should do and, and, uh, and tell people about your book again. Um, I, you know, I bought the Kindle version of it and I'll just show people so they can see what it looks like. Um, let's see here. Here's what it looks like, everybody. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, but what I really want people to know that it's, it's truly, a beautiful book. Uh, you know, I guess I, I should mention, you know, since I'm a fan, you know, that Peyton Manning wrote the forward, right? And he was a childhood friend of yours, right? You grew yeah, up right across was. the street or something. And Yeah, we grew up across the street from one another. And we went to the same uh, school for that, most of our lives. And we were in the same class. So I'm, uh, I've known Peyton a long time. And he was super gracious to, to write the forward as he has been super gracious to many people over his lifetime. That's what I understand. So in any event, I just want to tell those out there, seriously, please go pick up this book and grow and learn and feel joy. And again, I think I told you earlier, I will not confirm or deny that I shed any tears over this book. Uh, but but I will say that it will bring tears to you, but beautiful tears that make you feel good, so good. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for spending time with me and, and my audience and sharing your, your book and your wisdom. You're just a beautiful person. And thank God, you know, thank God, but thank God also for your, your mother and father who just raised a beautiful human being. Thank you so I appreciate much. Thank you, Kevin. This has just been such a joy to be with you in conversation. Thank you. Well, the pleasure is completely mine. So I hope to stay in touch with you. And thank you, Teresa, again, I will have to say to her. Yes. <laughs> okay. God bless. Thank you.